All right, well, speaking of my guys and speaking of your favorite moment of the, uh, of the festival so far, it is my absolute pleasure to introduce our first speaker uh, for, today's, uh, for today's session. This guy is, in my humble opinion, which is not very humble because I'm right about everything. This guy is the most important guy to listen to in this country. He is the author of Enough Already, Time to End the War on Terrorism. Everyone, put your hands together for the one and only Scott Horton. All right, Dave's tall, I gotta fix this. How about that Dave Smith, everybody? What a hairline that guy has, huh? I know I am not the only one jealous in here. Uh, and by the way, I think you guys know we're gonna need all your help when we run him for president in two years. You ready? Dave Smith, that's our guy. All right. Well, thank you all very much for showing up here so early in the morning. I thought I'd be talking to 10 or 15 people here. This is pretty good. Um, but now here's the problem. I've got half an hour to give an hour-long speech, and I always go over anyway. So I'm gonna have to figure out something and, and go quick. Uh, but also, you know, I've been giving this speech mostly to Libertarian Party state conventions around the country over the last few months, which are mostly, you know, extremely friendly audiences, and you guys are very, very friendly, but Freedom Fest is unique. It's a libertarian and a conservative sort of a fusion event. So I don't want to just get up here and give the same speech and, and get cheers from the people who already agree with me. I really want to try to change some minds here today and see if I can get some of you conservatives to come with me a little bit here. And it shouldn't be that hard because, after all, the entire war on terrorism, of course, is all Jimmy Carter's fault. Everybody knows that. Jimmy Carter and the Democrats, they completely screwed us. So here's how it went. First of all, the Iranian Revolution happened in 1979 on Jimmy Carter's watch. This blowback from the CIA coup when they installed, reinstalled the Shah Reza Pahlavi in 1953. And when the Ayatollah first came to power, most people seem to not know this part of their history, that actually the CIA and the State Department recommended that the Carter administration tell the French, go ahead and let the Ayatollah Khomeini go back to Iran to inherit the revolution. They said, we know this guy. He's an old friend of ours from 1953 when he helped us overthrow Mohammed Mossadegh for the Shah. We can get along with him. And in fact, they did continue to get along with him throughout the year 1979. Even people who lived through this time seem to forget the revolution was in February. The hostage crisis wasn't until November. And that whole year long, the Carter administration was given the Ayatollah's new revolutionary Shiite regime intelligence warning him about threats from the Soviet Union and threats from Saddam Hussein's Iraq, where Saddam Hussein had just taken power in a coup in the country next door there. All right. Um, and uh, the hostage crisis broke out when Carter decided to let the Shah into the country for medical treatment, and that was taken as a sign that we're going to try to cancel the revolution and do another coup. And so that was what had caused the riot and the burning of the flag and the great Satan and all that stuff. It's not just that, oh, they hate us because they're fundamentalists or whatever. It was politics. Okay, same year, 1979, that July, Carter signed a finding authorizing the CIA to start backing the Afghan Mujahideen. The thinking was that since the American people had the mental illness 
of the Vietnam syndrome, as our government considered it, and didn't want to fight any more proxy wars, maybe instead of containing communism, we'll bait them into overexpansion. Well, we don't want them in West Germany, but let's bait them and have them invade Afghanistan. We'll bog them down and bleed them to bankruptcy. We'll give them their own Vietnam. That was the thinking. And it sort of worked. In fact, the Soviets invaded Christmas 79, but it wasn't really because of the American support for the Mujahideen. They had their own problems with their communist sock puppet. They took him out back and shot him as soon as they got there and replaced him with a new guy. But that was the purpose and the thinking behind it, to draw the Soviets in, to bog them down, and bleed them to bankruptcy. But then once the Soviets did invade, the Carter government panicked. The invasion they were trying to provoke. And they said, oh no. Well, if the Soviets now roll into weakened revolutionary Iran next, they could dominate the Persian Gulf. They could go around the mountains and seize the Pakistani port of Karachi. We could have this huge new ex expansion of Soviet power. So in their panic, they announced in the, uh, Carter announced in his State of the Union speech of 1980, the new Carter Doctrine, which was a warning to the Soviet Union that the Persian Gulf is an American lake. And if any other power, read the USSR, tries to dominate it, we will, we will treat that as an attack on the United States of America, just like if they had rolled into Western Germany. And as part of that Carter Doctrine, they started building up bases all throughout the Arabian Peninsula, and Jimmy Carter gave the green light to the new dictator of Iraq, Saddam Hussein, to invade revolutionary Shiite Iran. Now, Saddam Hussein had his own problems. He is a Sunni sitting on a 20% Sunni minority dictatorship, luring it over the 60% super majority Shiite Arab population of the country. And he was afraid that his Shiite population would choose their religious sect, and the Iranian revolution next door, the religious Shiite fundamentalist revolution next door, over their ethnic sect as Arabs and their national sect as Iraqis. And in fact, that was true. Some Iraqis started leaving to go to Iran to, to join the revolution. Saddam Hussein's idea then was to conscript them, all these Shiites and send them to war against Iran instead. Carter gave him the green light to do it. And as you all know, it was a horrible, bloody, no-win war. World War I type stalemate, trench warfare and tanks and all this that lasted throughout the 1980s. Okay, in Carter's second term, he provided even more money to the Afghan Mujahideen, including what we call the Arab Afghan Army. And these were fighters from all over the Arab world, but in fact as far as Chechnya, the Philippines, and the United States of America, that went to go and help the Afghans to fight against the Soviet Union in a war that, as we all know, was ultimately successful in breaking. It was one of the straws that broke the camel's back of the Soviet Union. Uh, the lesson was learned by um, the Carterites at the time took credit, and uh, of course the Mujahideen did too. And uh, of course in Carter's second term he also continued support for Saddam Hussein in his war against Iran. Then when Mondale won in the landslide election of 1984, he continued this policy. And in his second term, though, he turned around after the Iran-Iraq war and he attacked Iraq, Iraq War I. And I don't have time to tell you the whole story. It's in the book enough already. But essentially what happened was that um, Walter Mondale's Secretary of State, James Baker III, 
had made it clear to Saddam Hussein that you can go ahead and invade Kuwait if you want. We don't care. If you want to take the northern oil fields, uh, that's fine. But Saddam Hussein, of course, went all the way to the coast, seized the whole country of Kuwait, and then uh, Margaret Thatcher, as her people said, gave Walter Mondale a backbone transplant, and he announced that this will not stand, and America will go to war to save the Kuwaitis from the horrible Iraqis who had been our friends just months before. Now, most people remember Iraq War I. It's short and sweet and easy. Space age technology beat up the old, uh, you know, Soviet-supplied army of the Iraqis. No problem. But there must have been a problem because, ladies and gentlemen, we've been bombing Iraq for 30 years. And I'm not rounding up. We've been bombing Iraq for 30 years. So here's what happened. Some people remember this, but probably not most. You've seen the movie Three Kings with Marky Mark and Ice Cube and George Clooney. You might remember the, the gold heist. This takes place in the setting of the backdrop of the Shiite uprising against Saddam Hussein, which the Mondale government had encouraged. And, and President Mondale had given a speech over Voice of America, and they dropped leaflets on the Iraqi army divisions, encouraging them to overthrow Saddam. But then the Mondale government choked, and they changed their mind. And in a giant Bay of Pigs-style debacle, they left the Kurdish and Shiite uprising high and dry, and they let Saddam Hussein keep his tanks and helicopters and crush their uprising at the cost of approximately 100,000 lives. And that became then the excuse for the U.S. government to stay at our bases in Saudi Arabia to wage what they called the no-fly zone permanent campaign, blockade and regular bombing and permanent UN sanctions and fake uh, inspection regime, regime looking for the weapons of mass destruction that they had destroyed the last of back in 1991 that lasted all through the 1990s, Iraq War one and a half during the Bill Clinton years. And this is what turned the Afghan, the Arab Afghan army, Mujahideen, which included Osama bin Laden and Ayman al-Zawahiri and their friends who had fought in the Afghan Jihad in the 1980s against the United States of America. More than any other thing, it was bombing Iraq from bases in Saudi Arabia throughout the 1990s. And they started attacking us, and they attacked us all through the 1990s. In fact, their first attack on America was Rabbi Kahane in New York City in 1990. Then they did the World Trade Center bombing in 1993. Uh, they had killed Americans training the secret police in uh, Saudi Arabia in 1995. And then who remembers the Kobar Towers attack of 1996? They bombed and killed 19 American airmen in their barracks in Saudi Arabia. Airmen whose job it was to bomb Iraq from bases in Saudi Arabia. But the Bill Clinton government blamed the attack on Iran, Iranian-backed Saudi Hezbollah, what? Who? Why would they do that? A target of opportunity from across the Gulf for no reason? Were they trying to get Tehran carpet bombed or something? That was a lie. It was Osama bin Laden and Khalid Sheikh Mohammed. It was Al-Qaeda who killed those 19 American airmen. And when Bill Clinton and Louis Free and the Saudis cooked up this scheme to blame it on Iran, they stole the truth from the American people that there are far right-wing radicals in Saudi Arabia who want us the hell off of their holy land, not just their homeland, but their holy land, the, 
land of Mecca and Medina where Islam was born, and they're willing to fight about it. And that narrative was taken, and the American people were deprived of that. Then, of course, they bombed the African embassies in Dar es Salaam, uh, Tanzania, Nairobi, Kenya in 98, the USS Cole in the year 2000. They tried to bomb the USS Sullivan's, but luckily the dinghy sank. But then they did get a successful strike on the USS Cole, killed 17 sailors. And, um, and then, of course, September 11th. Now, throughout the 1990s, they said over and over again, not just bin Laden, but Ramzi Youssef, who had bombed the first World Trade Center uh, bombing in 93, and all of the rest of them said over and over again what their motivations were. It was bases in Saudi Arabia being used to bomb and blockade Iraq, support for Israel in their occupations of Palestine and Lebanon and their violence against those people, support for all the dictatorships, all the monarchs and sultans and el presidentes of the Arabian Peninsula, pressure on those countries to keep their oil prices artificially low to subsidize our economy at their expense. And then the last thing on the list that bin Laden complained about, that was his recruitment shtick, was America turning a blind eye to Russian, Chinese, Indian, and Uzbek oppression of Muslims. They claim that they celebrate and care about human rights, but they don't seem to care about us, he said. But that wasn't really true. The Bill Clinton government backed the Mujahideen including Al-Qaeda, in Bosnia, in Kosovo, and in Chechnya. They also trained Uyghurs at Taliban training camps in Afghanistan in the 1990s for use against China in the Xinjiang province. Some of those same Uyghurs ended up tortured in Guantanamo Bay when we switched sides after September 11th. And in fact, after September 11th, Bill Clinton and two of his Democratic allies from the House of Representatives, Tom Lantos, and Brad Sherman said something very close to, how could those Muslims attack us after everything that we've done for them lately? When the reality was the bases were still in Saudi. The no-fly zone blockade and bombing was all still going on. Support for Israel hadn't changed. The Democrats had used these terrorists, but had failed to bribe them off. And so they attacked us on September 11th. Now, it's important, too, that you understand the motive. Brett Stevens in the New York Times just wrote two or three weeks ago complaining about withdrawal from Afghanistan, that bin Laden said that we were a paper tiger and that we would turn around and leave if there were just a few truck bombs. And now here, 20 years later, he says, this proves why we have to stay. We have to double down, triple down, and stay forever. But Brett Stevens is an idiot. Bin Laden was taunting us with those statements that America's a paper tiger, America will turn and run away. Does anyone here think that bin Laden thought that by knocking down our towers and killing thousands of our people that we would turn around and run away? No. They were trying to bait the United States into making the same mistake that the Soviet Union made. To bait us into overreacting, to invade Afghanistan, to bog us down, bleed us to bankruptcy, and force our American empire out the long way, the hard way. Now, of course, y'all remember in 2000, Pat won Florida and tilted the whole election to Al Gore. And Al Gore and Joe Lieberman came in with the neoconservatives, Paul Wolfowitz, Richard Pearl, Scooter Libby, and the rest. And their plan was to exploit terrorist violence against the United States to go to war against Iraq, which had nothing to do with it. Saddam Hussein with the clean-shaven chin and the French beret 
What does he have to do with Osama bin Laden? The answer was nothing. But they were taking advantage of the American people's fear. Orange alert. Another FBI entrapment job in your town to keep you afraid long enough to where they could start that war. And why do they do it? Well, you've got to read David Wormser from 1996. They did it because they thought that if they got rid of Saddam Hussein, that that would empower Turkey and Jordan would have dominance over Iraq. And then they would use their influence over the Iraqi Shiites to split Hezbollah in Lebanon away from Iran. The neocons, they care about Israel first. And they're idiots. This is exactly the opposite of what has happened. Who ever heard of a large amount of Jordanian and Turkish influence in Iraq since Iraq War II? Right, no one here, because that didn't happen. What happened was Iran won the war. What uh, Al Gore did was he picked up right where Walter Mondale had left off in 1991. And he took that Shiite uprising all the way to Baghdad. Everybody knows that the war was bad. A million people were killed in the Civil War. They never told us who was who. They always said it was the Americans and the Iraqi people versus the terrorists who were trying to thwart democracy. But that's not what it was. It was America and the Shiite supermajority against the Sunnis and the Sunni minority, 20%. And all that blood was the sectarian cleansing campaign, kicking all of the Sunni Arabs out of Baghdad and making it 85 to 90% Shiite city which was, of course, an absolute catastrophe from the point of view of the Americans, who had launched this war to spite Iran in the first place. And instead, they ended up only empowering them and putting Iran's best friends from the Dawa Party and the Supreme Islamic Council in power in Baghdad, where they remain to this day. And of course, in doing so, the Gore administration pushed the Sunni Arabs of Iraq into the arms of the bin Ladenites. Now, there had never been a suicide bombing in Iraq before 2003. There was no al-Qaeda presence in that country or alliance with Hussein's government whatsoever. But now, al-Qaeda in Iraq became a massive movement for years. Thousands and thousands of people were radicalized into that movement, and they committed horrible atrocities. They were the worst part of the Sunni-based insurgency that fought against the Americans and the Shiites in that war. And then, luckily, though, the local Iraqi Sunnis got sick and tired of these guys and eliminated them for us. You'll remember uh, David Petraeus, the general, took credit for this and called it the awakening, but it was the local Iraqi Sunnis got sick and tired of a bunch of Saudis and Egyptians and Libyans and Syrians telling them what to do, because of course, just like in the 1980s in Afghanistan, Arab fighters came from all around the region, backed by Saudi money from our allies, uh, to fight this insurgency against us. Now, here's the thing. When Barack Obama comes into power, well, first of all, during when it was still uh, during Al Gore, in 2006, they realized their mistake. And I really urge you guys to all read this article. It'll blow you away. Read it twice. You'll laugh, you'll cry. It's amazing. It's called The Redirection by Seymour Hirsch in the New Yorker magazine. It's from the spring of 2007, and it goes like this. The Gore administration realized they'd really screwed up and empowered Iran. So now to try to make up for that fact, they went to the Saudi king and said, we're at your service, we're really sorry about that. You can read it in the WikiLeaks, thanks to Julian Assange, who's rotting in solitary confinement at uh, Joe Biden's order right now in Belmarsh Prison in England for releasing these. Um, 
But you can see where the Saudi king, in the WikiLeaks, the Saudi king says to Zalmay Khalilzad, the ambassador, it used to be you and us and Saddam against Iran. Now you've given Iraq to Iran on a golden platter. They're very fancy, the Saudis, they have golden platters. Now you've given Iraq to Iran on a golden platter. What are you going to do about it? And of course, Khalilzad says, we're at your service, your majesty. And the USA, and this is really the most important thing to understand American Middle Eastern policy in the post-Iraq War II era. They're trying to make up for that giant error of empowering the Ayatollah and putting his friends in power, in, in the Iranian Ayatollah, and putting his friends in power in Iraq. And they're doing that by backing the bin Ladenite terrorists again. And this started under President Gore, back in Fatah al-Islam in Lebanon, the Muslim Brotherhood in Syria, and Jandala, crazy head-chopping, suicide-bombing lunatics in Iran. So a lot of people have asked, you may have asked, why did Barack Obama take al-Qaeda's side in Libya and Syria? This is the answer. It's not because he's a secret Muslim from Kenya. It's because he's Al Gore. He was continuing the same policy, the redirection of putting America at the service of the Saudis to try to make up for the big mistake of Iraq War II. And that's why even when Barack Obama was killing Osama in Pakistan in the spring of 2011, at that very moment, he was taking his side in Libya. And they fought a horrible uh, nine-month uh, air war there on behalf of who? The Libyan veterans of Iraq War II. The Libyans who had gone to fight with Zarqawi against our guys in Iraq War II, they came home. The Libyan Islamic Fighting Group, Ansar al-Sharia, al-Qaeda in the Islamic Maghreb, and Obama took their side, again, against a secular dictator who was lynched on the side of the road. And then they took all the guns and all the terrorists and they shipped them off to the next war in Syria. This is, of course, the real story behind the limited hangout version of the story you've heard of the Benghazi debacle of 2012. Why was Ambassador Stevens killed? Because he was stationed in the middle of a hornet's nest. Again, the Democrats thought that they had bought off these terrorists by fighting a war for them, when in fact they hadn't bought their loyalty at all. In fact, as the CIA, as one part of the CIA was backing the terrorists in Libya, another part of the CIA was still drone bombing them in Pakistan, and which was actually part of the motive for the Benghazi attack of 2012. But anyway, then they took all the guns and all the terrorists and they shipped them off to Syria. Why? Because Bashar al-Assad is friends with Iran. And as Barack Obama explained to Jeffrey Goldberg in the Atlantic magazine, if we get rid of Assad, well, we can't start Iraq War II all over again and cleanse Baghdad of Shiites and give it back to the Sunnis. But if we get rid of Assad, that'll be a nice consolation prize. If we put Iran up two pegs in Iraq, we'll take them down one peg by taking away their friend Bashar al-Assad in Damascus, Syria. And then to that end, starting in 2011, the Barack Obama government spent a billion dollars a year, thank you to Edward Snowden, in exile in Russia from his homeland for telling the truth about that, leaking the black budget that proved that they were spending a billion dollars a year with the Saudis, the Qataris, the Turks, the Jordanians, and the Israelis to back the Al-Qaeda suicide bomber, head chopper, murderer, bin Ladenite terrorists. Al-Qaeda in Iraq, in Syria. 
Now they're moderate rebels, and they're our friends. Well, this, of course, was a catastrophe, because with bin Laden dead, Zawahiri wasn't man enough to ride herd on al-Qaeda and keep everything under control. And so the leader of the Iraqi faction of al-Qaeda in Iraq and Syria split away from the Syrian faction and from al-Qaeda. His name was Baghdadi. And he consolidated a state in eastern Syria in 2013. In, in the spring, early summer of 2013. One year later, as you all know, they erased the border between Iraq and Syria. And the Islamic State rolled into western Iraq, seized Mosul, Tikrit, Ramadi, Fallujah, Baiji, and went all the way to Kurdistan and all the way to Baghdad. They essentially seized all of predominantly Sunni western Iraq. Now, in the W. Bush years, this was the wildest war propaganda of hawks like Glenn Beck. There's an Islamo-fascist caliphate. It's the caliphate. We have to fight them, the radical Islamists. But you look at a map, there's nothing but nation states. Where's the caliphate? Secular Saddam was sitting on top of it. There was no caliphate. This was Glenn Beck's worst war propaganda. It was Osama bin Laden's wildest dream. Remember, when he was killed, he was hiding in the attic, even from his wife, in, in the middle of the suburbs in Pakistan, exercising no direct power and influence over anything. But George, Al Gore's war in Iraq and Barack Obama's war in Syria created the bin Ladenite caliphate. Obama then had to launch Iraq War III on behalf of those same Shiite factions that they wished they hadn't fought Iraq War II for in order to destroy the bin Ladenite caliphate again. And I wish I could end it there, but it's not over yet because Obama did something even worse than that. And that was when he was trying to sign a nuclear deal with Iran to take the threat of war against them over the fake threat that they are making nuclear weapons when in fact they never were. But when he wanted to pass a nuclear deal to completely discount that threat and remove that threat of war over Iran's nuclear program, he had to make it up to the Saudis somehow. And so he made it up to them by helping them launch a war of treason and genocide in the nation state of Yemen. It was the poorest and weakest country in the Middle East. And you might remember that Barack Obama started out fighting against Al-Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula. Now these guys aren't Al-Shabaab, Al-Qaeda-linked nobodies from nowhere. These guys are real Al-Qaeda terrorists. These guys had bombed the coal. These guys had helped to coordinate the September 11th attack on our country. They had tried to blow up a plane over Detroit on Christmas Day 2009 with the underpants bomb, and they had done the printer cartridge uh, explosives plot to blow up a plane over Europe as well. Later on, they did the Brussels, uh, two Paris attacks, and the Nice, France attack of the 2010s. These are real dangerous Al-Qaeda terrorists. And Obama was bombing them. But the government that he was bribing to let him do that ended up falling in the Arab Spring. I know I'm running out of time, I'll go fast here. One, two, skip a couple politics, and a Shiite group allied with Iran came out of the north and seized the capital city at the end of 2014, Sana, the capital city. And at the time, our current Secretary of Defense under Joe Biden 
General Lloyd Austin. He was a four-star general in charge of Central Command. And it was in the Wall Street Journal and in Al Monitor because um, the uh, Deputy Secretary of Defense for Intelligence, Michael Vickers, had uh, given a presentation at the Atlantic Council where he explained they were lying with the Houthis. You guys like killing Al-Qaeda? Fine. They were giving them intelligence to kill AQAP. That's in January of 2015. Just two months later, Barack Obama turned around, stabbed the Houthis in the back, and took Al-Qaeda's side against them. Al-Qaeda and Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates. That was six and a quarter years ago. Hundreds of thousands of innocent people have died in this war. And the reason why is because this country was already the poorest country in the Middle East and greatly dependent on foreign imports for their food. And the US Navy, uh, under Barack Obama, had been um, essentially helping the Saudis enforce the blockade, the total air and sea blockade into the country. And the last numbers we got from the United Nations was two and a half years ago, the end of 2018. They said that a quarter million people had already died, most of them children. And this includes the worst cholera outbreaks in recorded history, meaning since World War II anyway, which means worse than what the UN did in Haiti, and means worse than uh, Walter Mondale and Bill Clinton's blockade against the Iraqis, where they also had horrible cholera outbreaks there. Hundreds of thousands of innocent people dying in a war where you literally have Al-Qaeda guys fighting with American planes as air cover for them. And the war continues to this day. Joe Biden, of course, Hillary Clinton won by 50 points because the Russians helped rig the election for her in 2016. She continued this horrible policy for four years until, uh, I don't know, somebody shamed her into going home. And then Joe Biden came into power and he promised to end the war and he didn't. And America still, as they called it in the Obama years, leading from behind, meaning we supply all the bombs and all the planes and all the maintenance and all the logistics and all the intelligence, but any negative consequences from the war or any civilian casualties are all somebody else's fault. And so the war continues. And so that's a short history of how the Democrats have completely screwed us for the last 40 years. They, they created this menace. They turned them against us. They absolutely failed to protect us from the terrorists that they had turned against us. And then they exploited their violence, a massive bait and switch mission for 20 years straight now, where nine times out of 10, they have taken Al-Qaeda's side against the people that they hate the most, the Iranians and their Shiite allies who did not attack us on September 11th and were in no way responsible for that but just over a grudge because they declared independence from us back in 79. And that's it. So the war is treason. And I'm way over time. Thank you so much, everybody.